Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you. Thank you, Pastor Adrin, for doing the large portion of scripture reading. He was almost breathless by the end. And so we should have done the responsive reading. Thank you, musicians, for leading us in our time of worshipping God. Uh, I got a message uh, just towards the end of the week that uh, the lights here have blown. Do you realize that? So it's slightly darker. And isn't it wonderful? It's a timely illustration, let there be light. So at the end of this time, we might find a spotlight so it becomes clearer here. So I hope you can bear with it. Though it's a bit dark, you may be squinting away. But more importantly, is to hear God's word. Was blind, but now I see. As it were, the verse that summarizes this portion. A song that has captured imagination, inspiration all around the world. John chapter 9, verse 25. And so quite a few members have now, well, actually lots of people are now so excited about chat GPT. Are you? Right? And since it came on the scene, uh, some people have been sending me messages. They Google ARPC and see what chat GPT says about, uh, about uh, ARPC. There's a poem made, there are different characteristics. And then one church member says, I put in your name and this is what chat GPT came up with. And so what did chat GPT know about me? It knew something of my, let me just take a look whether this is the right way. Okay. Knew something about my studies. Knew something about my role. Knew something about my time, my life. Right? Knew something about my wife. And so, what did it say about my studies? That I did my basic degree at Singapore Bible College and did my master's in Trinity Theological College. My role, I'm senior pastor. The time I've been senior pastor is 2006. And my wife's name is Priscilla. <laughs> I shared this with Mona, and Mona asked me, who is Priscilla? <laughs> Instead of saying, chat GPT is wrong. <laughs> who is Priscilla? And when I listened to all that, when I read all that from this church member, I said, everything's wrong. I didn't study here. I studied in Australia. I studied in New South Wales, my first degree in accounting and finance. Then I studied in more theological college. Then my role as senior pastor is correct, right? And I've been senior pastor since, I don't know, time began, 1991, 1992, right? Not 2006. And my wife's name is not Priscilla. And of course, the technology is still evolving. Will there come a day where this technology will advance so much that it can track down not just your wife's name, but your former girlfriend's names? your former boyfriend's names. And so I don't know what, what you use technology for. It's supposed to enlighten life and improve your life. But in this one, if our relationship, our marriage relationship, Mona and I, our marriage relationship was more shaky, Priscilla could have become a problem between us. Right? Really could have been. And so here we are, enlightened by the world. What artificial intelligence knows? And the more it knows, and it says, all that is here, right, the capacity of your iPhone, capacity of your smartphones, there is enough here, right, there's more than enough than send the first man to the moon. That's far, how far in advance it has become. And so in the future, what wonder, what wow, what worship. How does Jesus compare with being the Word become flesh? The truth and grace that has come from God. The light that shines in the darkness. The true enlightenment of God, the true enlightenment of who you are, and the true enlightenment of what's really important. 
How might Jesus rank against all our man-made technology and devices, promising to grant us enlightenment by leading us into ever deeper darkness? And so here is not artificial intelligence. Here is God's word and wisdom in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. And so it begins this way. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Right? And oh, this is a different passage. Okay. No, the outline. We go straight to the outline. Okay. There's a blinding issue. Who sinned? Right? And then the neighbor's reaction. And then the Pharisees' interrogation. And then it ends with Jesus' warning to wrap it all up. And Jesus' warning ties in with what began. And so how did it begin? Come with me to Bibles. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, then listen carefully to this again. That was read out earlier in responsive reading. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Isn't it interesting for us to note that amidst the crowd that was building up, Jesus' eye that expresses his heart is always singling one person in the crowd for the touch of love, for the touch of God, for the touch of compassion. And so amidst this crowd, he sees a blind man. And disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so they ask a question, and the question is this. There, is, there was in Jewish theology, there still is, a link between sin and sickness in life. It's almost a watertight formula. You will not be suffering, you will not be sick, you will not be facing this crisis or this problem if there was no prior sin. If there is, if there is, there must be the prior sin. And so is this generational sin? Or is this personal sin? From a Jewish background, that's very important. When I speak to all of us who are Chinese, Malay, Indians, Caucasians, Africans, we are not Jews. We don't have the understanding of what generational sin is and what personal sin may be. So I mentioned sinner to you today in Singapore. Who might come to your mind? I mentioned sinner to you, and the furthest person from your mind is yourself. You might think of a person who smokes. <laughs> we ran a DG and part of this discipleship group in the early days, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, a young girl came in, she was pretty troubled, and after almost every Bible study, we would, she would slip out first. And she would slip up, we know, to have a smoke. And so she'll come back and she'll smell of smoke. So our hard decision was, hey, she's the only smoker, but I had to remind the group, hey, she's the only smoker, but she's not the only sinner. For some people, smoking is a sin. For some people, drinking is a sin. For some people, you see, it's always other people's sin. So we got a ministry to prisons. Oh, yeah, they are sinners. But seated here, 550 of us, every single one from God's holy perspective is below the 50% mark. We are all sinners. Agree? If don't agree, cannot carry on. We need to come forward for confession. That's the starting point. It doesn't say in Scripture that smoking is sin. That's not encourage you to sin. It says that, says what? Who is a sinner? Listen carefully. So generational sin for the Jews ran along these lines. You shall not bow down to serve them. What? The idols you will make with your hands. 
For I am the Lord your God, Yahweh your God. And there's good thing about God. God has a jealous love. And is jealousy good? Divine jealousy is good because He never shares who rightly belongs to Him with others. Do you dare share who rightly belongs to you with others? You are a warped man. You are a warped woman. You never share loosely, lightly, anyway. People who rightly belong to you alone. Your son, your daughter, then you must protect. Your husband and your wife, then you must protect. So God loves us, His people with a jealous love. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers who go into idolatry on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. There are no two ways about you, about this. Israel, the Israelites, cannot pretend to love God and then throughout the week chase idols and still say, I love God with all my heart and mind and soul. When they chase idols of Canaan, they hate God. You cannot do worship of the true and living God, mess up with idolatry. You either love the one or hate the other. So those who hate him will chase idols. They will still turn up at the temple. They will still do the sacrifices. Our modern day version, you still turn up here. You still give your offering. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. And so if you hate God, you will have idols. If you love him, it's him alone. And the only thing that he gives to you to worship him is his spoken word about his love. That's why every Sunday you gather here, not to see performances, but to hear the word of God. Amen? If you don't come here, you will be an idolater. That's not my promise. That's God's promise to us. What about personal sin? The understanding of personal sin goes along these lines. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. There is a collective dimension to sin. We are in solidarity with Adam who sinned. That is the solidarity of sin. But there's also the singularity of sin. If I sin, I cannot blame Adam. I am of Adam's race. I carry the fallen DNA. I'm a sinful man. But when you and I sin against God, there is not the plea of the solidarity, the escape clause of Adam. There is the singularity and my responsibility. I lusted, I angered, I swore, I did all those things. That's important for us to realize. Now with that, we can see the answer of Jesus in his context. The answer of Jesus in the context went along these lines. The disciples were asking about the cause of this blind man's blindness from young. But Jesus focused on the purpose of the blindness. And the purpose of the blindness was not to showcase the man's blind man's sin or his parents' sin. What caused this? But to showcase Jesus as light of the world. And that's so important, right? And so, the I am sayings, I am light of the world. When you read John's Gospel, whenever you hear it recorded, the words of the Lord Jesus, I am, you should sit up. 
I should say that whenever you read God's Word, hear God's Word, you should sit up all the time. And so I'm not for one to do quiet time on my bed unless you're so, so tired. But you cannot be so tired from Monday to Sunday. Some days you should do a quiet time sitting. Some days you should do a quiet time walking. Right? And so we must indeed repent of that. Jesus, I am saying, strewn throughout John's Gospel, runs along these lines. I am the bread of life. We saw that in chapter 6, three times. I am the light of the world, here. Previously introduced in chapter 8, verse 12. I am the door through which the sheep, the true sheep, enter. I am the good shepherd who will lay down my life for my sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And finally, I am the true vine. And so this is who Jesus thinks he is. Let me correct myself because you can't correct me. This is not who he thinks he is. This is who he really is. Your self-imagination and your self-image is quite different to yourself. You might project an image and you may be deluded about your own self-perception, but Jesus is not deluded. This is not what he thinks about himself. This is who he really is. So I want to ask you, do you have to tr an accurate assessment of yourself? Not who you think you are, but who you really are. And you will not get to that position apart from the grace of God giving you fellowship to help you understand you will never have a true understanding of your own identity by yourself which makes Christianity quite different to the rest. So before we go on, 2, 4, 6, 7. Which of these characteristics or things about the Lord Jesus matters to you? Has mattered to you in the past week? Has mattered to you somewhere in your life? If none of the I am sayings has percolated in your heart, has mattered to you at some point, you really need to question whether you are a child of God. Because your entry and your staying depends on the identity of Jesus. And who Jesus is, all these things didn't matter to you. Then sit back, think about it. Maybe I don't know him. Who do you think he is? The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg when you're blind? What jobs are open to you? Modern day, at least there are pathways from NGOs, social services, maybe the government. In the ancient world, what jobs are open to you if you're blind? No need ancient world. You can go to many countries around the world. What jobs opportunities are there for those who are physically handicapped? It's almost zero. So I went to visit our Grace Orchard School, one of our Presbyterian schools. And I wanted to visit all these years, but I never went. But now the moderator, I, have, I, I went, went and saw the opportunities, 400 plus students, a spectrum of special needs. And I spoke to the teacher, I'm going to show you a video in the weeks ahead. Her passion for that. The new school is being built and they want to multiply it to 800 to 1,000. 
This is a Presbyterian school. It's very important that we get this right. And they got the students in the cafe to serve us, to right, cook, serve the food to us. We ate it. So what job opportunities await them? I walked to the classes and saw different ones of them, learning different things at different pace. And for those who are on a tougher spectrum, just five to a class. Two teachers, five to a class, just teaching them. So look at this carefully. This man is well known. His blindness is well known. His handicap is well known. And so, so well known that nobody can do something about him. Jesus sees him. The man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. I do not know whether he sighted Jesus. He was blind. He heard Jesus. And then Jesus, after performing that, disappears from the crowd. And so the neighbours asked this question, could this really be that man? Could it be? And the first response of this blind man now cited is, I do not know. I do not know. It begins with, I'm naive about this. Then he moves on to the Pharisee's interrogation. And the Pharisee's interrogation has three parts to it. Have you ever been interrogated? Where? I have at different times. Right? Sometimes by the authorities. Sometimes by others. Of the man. Of the parents. And then of the man again. If you were involved in a police case, when they call you back again, you know something is up. Either they have a problem or you have a problem. And so the Pharisees' interrogation of the man. Right? They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. I'm told from the background that the sin here was not that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, but he literally picked up the mud and worked it, molded it like Play-Doh. And there were 39 Jewish laws, right, Sabbath laws, that prevented you from kneading. And kneading anything, dough, would actually constitute work. And that's so important, even in modern-day Israel, right, calling the nurse by pressing the buzzer would constitute work. So this was about 20 years ago, I read, that somebody, an Israeli, invented something, an audio, to be able to call your nurse. And if you use your voice to call your nurse, is that work? It became pathetic. So pathetic as to what broke the law, the Sabbath law. And so the sin was of needing. And the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes. I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God but for he does not keep the Sabbath. And so this first round of interrogation ends. The Pharisees are divided. The blind man by now says, I'm no longer blurred about him. I now progress in my understanding of increasing revelation, increasing revelation, increasing response, increasing revelation, increasing response. I, think he's now a, I now think he's a prophet. And then the investigation moves on to the parents. His parents answered, 
We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Being born blind was very important in this case to establish that this was truly a miracle. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. You ask yourself, uh, if your parents are asked to defend you, right? What kind of parents are this? Right? Instead, say, he's old enough. Like, he's always wanted to be old enough. Right? Now he's old enough to speak for himself. Maybe. So be careful if you want to mature too, too quickly, right? If you get into trouble, you're old enough to answer up for your actions and your decisions. That's not the backdrop. The backdrop is verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So I bold the last two, four, five words. Put out of the synagogue. In the Greek, there's only one word. Apos synagogus. Right? Synagogue comes from that. Apo means out of the synagogue. What's the most frightening thing that could happen to you here in Singapore? That one day you wake up and there are no longer any more hawker centres. My goodness, that'll be the end of the world for us. What is the most frightening thing for the Jews? That they will be thrown out of the synagogue. Their diet was not physical food. Their diet was supposed to be spiritual food. To be excluded from the synagogue was to be excluded from God and His promises. To be excluded from the kingdom of God. And so one writer called this synagogue exclusion. Who could kick you out of the synagogue? Only the Pharisees had the jurisdiction of power, authority to do so. And once they kick you out, so I'm going to kick you out of this school. If you are a delinquent student, you say, go ahead. If you're a delinquent student, you say, go ahead. I never liked school in the first place. Your parents say, no, you stay in the school. If you're kicked out of an institution, what's the cost? For some people, it's a great relief. If you're kicked out of the synagogue as an Israelite, you firstly become a social outcast. Have you ever been a social outcast? Among your hundred neighbours in HDB block, you are outcasts. The whole block will know, stay away from this family. The modern day version, stay away from this family. They are terrorists. They've entered the echo chamber. They're plotting against Singapore. Stay, mark out this flat. They become social outcasts and with crippling financial costs. You lose jobs, you lose businesses, you lose connections. You lose your Jewishness. And you lose that, you have lost everything as a Jewish person. So being thrown out of the synagogue was no small thing. And here it is a revelation of what? It's a revelation of the darkness of Jesus' opponents. And the darkness of Jesus' opponents, they wanted to kill him, wanted to kill him, wanted to kill him. How many times can you count the verses? How many times has the thought crossed your mind of having enough anger, having enough self-righteous judgment to get rid of somebody? And then not just to eliminate Jesus, the rabbi who is having this huge crowd, but to incriminate and to scare the daylights of anybody who tries to follow him. Instead of the religious leaders, the Jews who are religious leaders in John's Gospel. And be careful of this. The ultimate prince of darkness is Satan. 
In their context in Jesus' early life, Satan was working through the temple system. And through the temple system, it was Satan's work is often to scare you out of faith into fear. So how many of you are sitting here with a crippling sense of fear? Fear of the past catching up with you, fear of the present, fear of a future that is not there. Fear of health, fear of sickness, fear of failure. Be careful that Satan pounces on fear to deal the death note to faith. So we come and we understand this. Lessons from two healings. You must compare this with the healing of the paralyzed man in chapter 5. Right? And the healing of the, the paralyzed man in chapter 5 and the healing of the blind man recorded for us in chapter 9. In both instances, the similarities, Jesus took the initiative to heal. In both instances, Jesus, after he healed, asked for a response. What response do you think he asked for? He desired and demanded. He asked for a response of belief. There the similarity ends. Because with the cripple recorded for us in chapter 5, he's warned to go and sin no more. Which means that there's an indication that after that miracle, after that miracle, he remains still in the same darkness, maybe in the same unbelief, the same job, no newness in his life. The blind man, on the other hand, confesses belief. Right? They con he confesses belief yep, in God. And then he's thrown out of the synagogue and he's faithful to Jesus at all costs, right? And so, is that you? Is that me? He says of Jesus that Jesus is not a sinner. As far as he knows, now he now sees, he's most likely the one who keeps the law and the worshipper of God. That Jesus is the one who does God's will. That Jesus is of God. His origins, his works, all start to cement his identity. And so you find in this blind man a faithful, this, a faithful believer of Jesus at all costs. And that's why he was blind, but now I see. And by this time, he doesn't know, he doesn't care what other people think of him. He knows he was once blind, but he, was, he now sees. And the person who did this for him is none other than Jesus. And so, in the words of one writer, he's the first example of, he's the first example of steady faith, undying faith in the midst of persecution. With the Samaritan woman, she runs off. She's not persecuted. And the whole town comes along with her. The whole town knows of us sinful background. But for this man, he was up against the whole religious establishment. If you were a reader of this gospel in the first century, it tells you that believing in Jesus is costly. That believing in Jesus is costly. I just want to ask you as you listen to this at this point, has believing in Jesus cost you anything? 
It will. It will cause you to die to self, take up the cross and follow Him. And so it ends with a warning. And what is the warning? Allow me to read for you. Right. And so in chapter 9, verse 35, are you there in the Bibles with me as we come to the end? Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So now Jesus finds him and he finds him sighted. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, it is he who is speaking to you. Have you ever said that to somebody? You want to turn to your neighbour and say, it is he who is speaking to you. It's a stunning statement, right? right? Are you, are you so... <laughs> I took to lunch at the Istana and I drove up, you know, and I arrived, it was set at 12.30 and because of counselling, I couldn't get there in time. I, I drove up and the policeman there on, on duty was... Christopher Chia? I said, yes. <laughs> Last one. <laughs> Last one in. Right. And so, right? Do you know who it is? Who you're talking to? He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. And so, we've got to read this. Can you read this together with me? Your turn. So are you blind or are you sighted? It's a very dangerous thing to say, I see clearly, when actually from God's perspective, we are blind to God, blind to the purposes of God, and blind especially to Jesus, who has come as the Word, become flesh for us, who has come as bread of life, who has come as light, who has come as the way, the light, the truth, the resurrection, who has come as all the things that we need. And so are you looking for a reason to believe in Jesus or are you looking for a reason not to believe in Him? And so beware in our modern day world of algorithm beliefs where you're unfaithful for any reason. Hey, what did you just say? If you're looking for a reason to not believe in Jesus, you find the simplest reason and you drop your belief in Him. This blind man who has been sighted, he's looking to believe in Jesus at all costs, not the first reason to drop Jesus. And no matter how pressured he was from being thrown out of the synagogue, the social cause, the financial cause, he hung on to him. I preached this about three weeks ago at the Adam site. I don't know whether you listened to that or watched that. There's a crisis in Christianity around the world. The Church of England, the bishops of the Church of England has just voted to legalise, as it were, right? Same-sex unions and marriages. And in the words of Rico Tais, who is from All Souls Church, 
that quite a few of our UK students go to and come back from. He said in interview, you just go and Google it on video, the moment the Church of England votes to legitimise and call sin a virtue, sin a non-sin, the Spirit of God leaves the Church of England. If we use his words, the Spirit of God has left the Church of England. If you want someone to legitimise your theology and your humanity and your sexuality, you will find. And once you enter that echo chamber, it's an echo chamber. And you never get out of it. Are you looking for a reason to believe or not to believe? Be very careful, my friends, because that unbelief begins as early as primary school. So I do not know whether you listened to that message. If you didn't, allow me to repeat the illustrations. Right? So we are blessed by God with about 1,000 children on paper, all the way from births to P6, 12 years old. About 600 of 700 of them attend our Sunday school, our children's church at both Adam and Bishan. Praise God, right? And so you ask the Sunday school teachers, both at Adam and Bishan, at what ages are our children most keen to sing songs? You teach them songs, they will sing. Between P1 to P3, P4. By P5, P6, they are not so keen to sing. You ask Pastor Roger and Pastor Jason, who's in charge of our youth ministry called Basic, by the time they hit sec one, sec two, it's almost sinful to sing. Who sent you that message? That it's now unfashionable to sing praises to God when you become a teenager. Imagine Jesus switching that around. I love you a lot when you were a child and accepted your worship. And now you become a teenager, I, I want to dissociate myself with you. The Lord of the universe, the Holy Lord of the universe is unashamed to associate with you and you are ashamed and it's no longer fashionable for you to associate with Him. And so teenagers don't sing praises to God. So who do we sing praises to? I, I don't know. It, it, Blackpink? Blue, Blue Dolphin? BTS? I do watch BTS. Six billion dollars into the Korean industry. Single-handedly one group. Single-handedly. I had my share of songs from the Beatles to Elvis Presley to all the Bee Gees, etc. But I was, not, I was not a Christian then. But after we become a child of God, can we highly commend to you right, that Christian music becomes part of your diet because the messages are subliminal. They carry into your heart. So parents, all of us, every month, our musicians will send off a playlist of all the songs that we sung for the whole month. When you receive that playlist that's sent to your DG leaders, DG leaders, are you listening? All DG leaders, hands up. Speak the truth, huh? don't disappear all of a sudden. The only two DG leaders in, whole, in this whole... My goodness, that's very frightening. They must all come to 11.30 a.m. service. And there are only 180 of them there. Come on, there are more DG leaders here. DG leaders and co-leaders, hands up. Ha ha. If you are sent this playlist and whatever we send, please don't let it choke with you. Send the message off to your groups. These are all the 20 songs that the musicians have practiced and sung with all their hearts. You want to ask Adrian how many, how many hours he practiced this? You want to know the musicians? Right? It's very important. 
feed them with God's Word. And on that note, when the Gettys come, it's not for entertainment. They're burdened with God's heart that we are losing generation upon generation. The first time in 2,000 years, I was speaking to Keith Getty, that reformation of word is not accompanied by reformation in worship. The Wesley brothers did the worship in word and the worship in song. They wrote so many songs. This is the first time in, in church history where we dichotomize the two. You know why? Because we as evangelical churches think that we are experts in the word. Then the charismatics are expert in the spirit and expert in worship. There is no dichotomizing between the Son and the Word and the Spirit of God. Jesus taught us that. Amen? It's a very important thing. So what you listen to will show whether you are looking for a reason to believe or not to believe in God, in Jesus. Are you choosing to be unfaithful for any reason? The choice we all face, if you choose unbelief in the words of Jesus, you remain in permanent darkness. Can somebody turn off all the lights here? Yeah? This hall is, no, I mean, don't, 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 no, 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 no. Jeremy almost did. Thanks, 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 Jeremy. This hall, it doesn't work because you got skylights coming in through there, right? But if I turn off everything, imagine living in permanent darkness. You just have to ask blind people what it's like to live in permanent darkness. But permanent darkness is not the scary thing. You will live with eternal guilt of sin. Did you notice the passage begins with, who sinned? This man or his parents, the passage ends with Jesus telling his audience, if you choose to reject me, you choose not to believe in me as the light who has come to shine in the darkness of this world, you will remain in the guilt of your sin forever, which means eternal separation from God. And so why does the world hate Jesus? This is the judgment. The light has come to the world. The people, sorry, yep. Come back to that later. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So sit there and ponder this as we come to the end. Do you truly love light or do you truly love Jesus? Truly love darkness? It's a very important question that we need to ask. We need to confess our hypocrisy, and our hypocrisy is this. The world is happy with Jesus as long as he's performing miracles in your life. The world will start to hate Jesus as he comes to confront you about your sin. Your sin of pride, your sin of unbelief. And that's very, very important for us to realize. And you must never underestimate what hate might make you do. We go backwards. How far will you go with hating? Her in-laws hated her enough not just to murder her, but to dismember her and to behead her. Some of us sitting here are living with irritating, frustrating people in your households. Who is? Hands down. I'm mean, All of us. Some of us, more seriously, are living in relationships and caught in households in which there is that bitterness and that hatred, either within the household or outside that household. You must never underestimate what hate might make you do. And you must never underestimate how the hating of God might work out in your life. 
So do you need AI to see Jesus for who he is? Right. Oops. Go backwards. You, do you need AI to see God for who he is? Or you need Jesus? And we suffer from presumptuous blindness, premature blindness, prejudicial blindness. And what is all the three Ps, presumptuous, premature, prejudicial, right? Is your understanding of Jesus true or distorted? The most current version of, you really made up your mind about someone. You made up your mind about something, and there's no second chance. It's perhaps the US Congress grilling of the TikTok CEO. Chu Shaozi, is that right? And he didn't stand a chance. As he tried to explain that perhaps TikTok was not used, I, I don't know much about this, but I watched a clip of this. He didn't stand a chance against the whole of America symbolized by the Congress, which was bipartisan against him. But you know what the headline was in one article, CNN? That he was cool, he was collected, and he was temperate, under fire. They already made up his mind, their minds about him and TikTok. And whatever reasons he could give, he was already boxed in. When you are stuck in position, you face injustice of the greatest kind. And that's the three Ps. It's presumptuous, it's premature, it's prejudicial, and it's distorted. I want to say I don't have any views about TikTok, right? but I just give you an example of, my goodness, they made up his mind. Whatever he said is not going to cut eyes with them. Is that how you're living your life? Is that how you're living your life with the Lord Jesus? You're presumptuous, you're premature, you're prejudicial. You think you're a Christian, but maybe you're not. And then that testimony by our sister Chua, right? She prayed a dangerous prayer, which we must pray. And what's the dangerous prayer, right? You go out on a limb and you trust God for your providence, right? And then you are just so contented to be a child of God. You find your identity in Him. And though your bank account keeps going down, keeps going down, your identity and security keeps going up and up. That's amazing, right? Isn't that amazing? That's really amazing. Say amazing. Lah. Your bank account goes down, but your security goes up. That is called Christian counterculture. And she's so secure that she goes out. She prays a dangerous prayer. I've got no one to love in the family. It must be a very loving family. And it is. We know the wrongs. Right? But who can I share this love of Jesus, this light of Jesus with? She found them in Tamar village. That women who have lived with the darkness of sexual sin, you think the women want to stay put in that darkness? You think the women want to stay put in that darkness? Let me just make a point about this as men, right? To stop us from looking at women lustfully. You think the woman is there because she likes it? She's there because she got stuck in it. Either through a background or something happened to her in, along the way. And she knows no better. And Jua goes out as holding the light of Jesus for them. And so it's very important. And did you hear her last words? Come and enjoy God. Come and enjoy God. 
she's secure enough in Jesus without a job to invite women who are in a worse off state socially, financially, to come and enjoy God. We prayed for Lucy Seed, who lost her mother. She's the wife of our elder Seed Kayong. And so I did the funeral wake last night, and I read what he had written in a message to, to our leaders. Right? And it only struck me as I read it aloud at the, at the sermon last night. My mother-in-law is now peacefully investing with God. She was a faithful believer, loved God, since coming to know Christ in the 1980s, together with my father-in-law. They had a rich life, enjoyed going to church, had church friends, enjoyed having fellowship groups. So two words, huh? Enjoyed going to church. How many of you enjoy going to church, honestly? Just checking. Just checking. Enjoy. Are you enjoying this? Enjoy having fellowship groups. God granted them a good long life for most part healthy and well, enjoying time in their golden years, had travelled and holidayed together much. They enjoyed seeing five grandchildren grow, and for her, was further blessed with two great grandchildren. And so in just two paragraphs, he used the word enjoyed, 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 enjoyed. When Jesus comes to your life, was blind, but now in see, there must be that unshakable joy of knowing Jesus. Ask yourself and ask myself, why are you so joyless? Why are you so loveless? Maybe you haven't been healed from your sight, from your blindness. That's why you are so loveless and joyless and purposeless. If Jesus has intervened in your life, you will wake up purposeful, filled with hope for the day, and downing that joy to share with other people. Is that right? Very important that we think this true for ourselves and for others. So two questions to end before we do the Lord's Supper. And two questions to end is, can you, after this message, both now and throughout the week, if not throughout the year, confess and repent of one area of darkness of your life, which you know is still lived in darkness? You cannot pretend away that darkness. So confess and repent of one area of darkness in your life. And secondly, right, identify an area of light that you have received from the Lord Jesus. The light has shone into your insecurity. The light has shone into your envy. The light has shone into your judgmentalism. The light has shone into your presumption. The light has shone into your lust. The light has shone into your envy, into your ambition. And from the light that Jesus shone into your life, can you offer the joy of that to others? Just two things to pray and work on. An area of darkness to confess and repent. An area of light to enjoy and to pass on to others. That is what it means to hear the gospel. That is what it means to exalt Jesus. That is what it means for darkness, for light to come into our darkness. Let's pray together. We quieten ourselves before you. And ask that your truth will set us free from all the lies and half-truths of Satan, the world, and our own hearts. 
We pray that your light will illumine us and take us out of the darkness of our lives to believe in you, Lord Jesus, and you alone. And we pray that we'll never succumb to our pride, our prejudice, our presumption, and stay more darkened in our blindness and face the eternal guilt of our sin. We ask this in your mighty name for our salvation, for the Father's glory.